HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning and welcome to Inside School Food on the Heritage Radio Network, our second episode for fall 2015 and our second in a trio of back to school specials. I'm Laura Stanley and today I am co-hosting the show with Dale Hayes of School Meals That Rock. Alas, Dale is not with me in the studio. Um, (laughs) Dale, where are you? I am in North Dakota this morning, Laura. All right. Well, thank you for taking the time today to share my job with me. Um, Delighted to do it. And uh, wherever I am, I'm always uh, thinking and talking about school food. So um, I'm delighted to join you. Okay, great. I I think for most listeners, Dale needs no introduction, especially um, for those of you who heard our first episode with Dale in early January of this year. Dale is an advisor and a great friend to Inside School Food and an invaluable source of insights, contacts, and new ideas in school food from all over the nation. For many years, Dale has been a beloved cheerleader and a trusted consultant to legions of school nutrition programs of all styles, sizes, and stages of development. So we're, we're going to put some of that expertise to work a little today um, as we try something fun and different. Um, we are going to play for you a series of voicemails from K-12 through food service professionals from East-West North, South, and Midwest. Um, Our callers were responding to a simple question posted on the Inside School Food website, which was, um, tell us about one new innovation you're introducing this year that you are particularly excited about. Um, Eventually, we hope to bring you all the wonderful responses we received. Um, For today, Dale and I have selected six, um, and topics-wise, they're they're kind of all over the place, which is kind of the point. Um, you know, when you're growing and improving your program, there's a great multitude of needs to think about and, of course, multitudes of strategies to consider for meeting them. So, Dale, are you ready to dive in? I am. I'm so excited to talk about this. I just found it so energizing to listen to those voicemails. Great, great. Okay, so I'll call on our engineer, Jack Inslee, to play our first message. Hi, my name is Tina Bond, 
and I'm a site supervisor, manager three here at Marysville Joint Unified School District. I work at the site of Lynnhurst High School. And I would like to just share a little bit about what we started this year. We wanted to make sure that what they see with their eyes is something that's going to be delicious in their tummies. So we want to make sure we're using our, our fruit from our home growers. So lots of peaches and plums and nectarines from farmers in our local community are giving us fruit in season, which makes everything that we offer look really appetizing. We also started making some veggie wraps with chicken and using like a cream cheese base with lots of fresh color inside and the kids are really enjoying that. When you go to a restaurant and you see these yummy sandwiches and paninis, students want to see that type of food as well at their, at their lunchroom. So we've decided to experiment and we've tried a couple vegetarian uh, style meals as well. And um, we're going to be making more wraps and looking for different um, recipes that other schools are using, um, like, for instance, maybe using a, a Caesar wrap and lots of color, like with black beans, maybe doing a Fiesta wrap. So that's kind of our next project is to try to, to use some more innovation in, in color, making sure that when they take a bite, they see lots of color in their, in their meal. Take a bite and see lots of color. I, I, you know, Dale, I wanted to do this one first because I feel that um, Tina is really speaking to some of the main elements of the School Meals That Rock agenda. Um, what do you have to say about Tina's message? Oh, several things. Um, first of all, Tina is, is new on my radar, and Tina is an actual manager in a high school cafeteria kitchen. So I think what's important is that it isn't just the district-level director and folks who we often tend to hear from who are really innovating and, and are really customer-centric. Um, mm-hmm. And I, Tina is just such a wonderful example. I wish everybody who is listening could see the uh, collages that she puts together with the photos, both of breakfast and lunch. And we know that everyone, children and adults, eat with their eyes first. Mm-hmm. So her beautiful presentations and the the appetizing uh, feel of her food is just, I think, at the very heart of um, increasing participation in school meals, but even more importantly, of getting that food off the tray and into the child. Right. And, and I really like what she said about students. And here she's really referring to high school kids, um, you know, as sophisticated consumers. She She's interested in really giving them the kind of um, classy looking food that, that looks and tastes like it does at the kind of high end quick service restaurants that teenagers are, are really into. So I, I sort of appreciate her alignment with what they do when they're outside of school. Again, I think that really is this sort of customer-centric approach, not mm-hmm. cooking what we need, what we know how to cook or, um, you know, what we're comfortable with, but really thinking about what our customer cares about. And I hear from so many directors these days across the country that how they're finding out about things, how, how they're looking for new ideas is that they go to the places where their customers are eating. Mm-hmm. So they're at quick-serve restaurants. I, I know someone who's 
says that um, he goes to the convenience stores where kids go mm-hmm. um, in the morning before they come to school. So getting that look and feel of what they're looking for and then um, my, my one of my new favorite terms is schoolifying it. Right. So t- taking those ideas and using the USDA foods, using the um, meal patterns, using the things that they, the, the um, constraints that they have to work with and really putting out these truly sophisticated and amazing meals. Right. Okay. Well, our next caller is also from California, um, and she is Erin Primer, and she's Food Service Director for Milbrae School District in San Mateo County, just west of San Francisco. I am particularly excited that we are operating our own in-house food service program this year, and we are committing to making at least one made-from-scratch item every month that we're already exceeding by introducing California Thursdays, which is a program sponsored by the Center of Eco-Literacy, and every other Thursday for the entire school year, we are featuring made-from-scratch menu items that are all locally sourced here in California. Our first event was yesterday with a chicken chili verde or a vegetarian pinto bean chili verde, and we're making brown rice with that, uh, serving it up to all of the students in our district, making everything in-house from scratch using our tilt skillet in a new kitchen that we just had built uh, last year. We're really excited about bringing fresh, quality, real foods to the students of our district, and we're really hoping that we can build upon this so that next year we're 100% from scratch with at least every Thursday being a California Thursday. So, Dale, I I thought this one made a nice segue from a California district that is already able to prepare from scratch every day to a California district that's just getting started. And, you know, I I feel like with all the focus we give on this show to districts that are doing, you know, already a ton of cooking, it's important to remember that many districts are just getting started. And, um, you know, we quickly forget that many schools still don't have kitchens. um, And some smaller districts especially have had farther to go. So Millbrae apparently is quite small, serving under 3,000 students through grade eight only. And I just really loved Erin's enthusiasm for getting started. You can just hear it in the tone of her voice when she's so excited to begin doing those kinds of things. I think that's a really important point, Laura, because one of the questions I get all the time, especially when I post some of my uh, school food candy um, pictures on um, (laughs) school meals that rock, um, is, well, look at that district. Why can't all districts do that? Mm -hmm. And you, you were spot on when you said it may have to do with equipment, it may have to do with the expertise of the staff, but people really are making headway in often smaller steps than, you know, other districts, and we really just have to uh, recognize that and support that as we uh, try to move everyone forward. Right, and, and I feel that, you know, Millbrae School District has every reason to be extremely proud um, at the, at this, you know, of what they're doing at a very sensible pace that, that works for them. Um, um, and, you know, you, you pointed out to me that you also admired Aaron's embrace of some of the local resources and programs like California Thursdays and Center for Eco-Literacy. It's, it's, a, it's you know, a good way to ramp up quickly, as, as she said she's planning to do. Well, it's a great way to ramp up and take advantage of learning from others. I think um, both... Um, 
Tina in the first segment and Aaron in this segment talk about where they're looking for inspiration and how they're taking other ideas. Center for Eco Literacy is incredible in terms of the recipes and um, uh, menus, you know, sort of from A to Z. They've got the resources that people need, and uh, Aaron's a great example of taking advantage of that. So mm-hmm. people don't have to reinvent the wheel to make these kinds of things happen. Right. Um, which makes me think I should post a link to some of the um, eco-literacy resources on today's show page, so I will do that. Um, spe- speaking of making progress one step at a time, um, here is a great example of exceptionally thoughtful planning around breakfast innovations. This is Lynette Dodson, and I'm the school nutrition director for Carrollton City Schools in Carrollton, Georgia. And one of the things that I'm most excited about this year is a continued expansion of our breakfast initiative in our district. We began this process several years ago and have added a reimbursable vending machine in our high school field house to give our student athletes an option of uh, early and even a delayed breakfast, and that brought about a 20% increase in our breakfast participation at our high school level. We then invaded um, with breakfast in the classroom at our junior high that brought about a 40 to 50% increase. This year we added cart service at our middle school and we've seen actually a 50% increase in our breakfast participation there. And then our elementary school, we went to a grab and go breakfast. It's a very large school, 1,700 students. So that has resulted in a 25% increase. So it's exciting to see us reach so many students with a healthy breakfast in the morning to help them um, be prepared to to learn and be effective in the classroom. This is an amazing message from an amazing food service director. Dale, I know you know Dr. Lynette Dotson pretty well. I wonder if you could just comment on her careful introduction of different strategies for bringing up her breakfast participation. Lynetta is a good friend and also a incredible example of the breadth of knowledge that an effective school nutrition director has to have today. I mean, you know, it isn't just about menus or kitchen equipment. It is about um, marketing and it is about participation metrics. And one of the things that I appreciate so much about Lynette Dodson's work is that she's very data-driven. She recently got her Ph.D., she did research into a lot of different areas, and she takes that same sort of thorough thoughtfulness at looking at something like rolling out breakfast innovations. Um, she really wants to do, as many directors do these days, to um, really expand breakfast, to expand uh, breakfast service um, to different alternatives rather than just a line in the cafeteria. But how she's gone about it is a very thoughtful and deliberate process to decide for different age uh, ages and grade levels that different methods are serv- uh, of service are different. So she's doing a, um, a vending machine option, she's doing some kiosk options, and then she's doing a grab-and-go option. But she's really, in order to roll those out, I mean, listen to those numbers. A school mm-hmm. that has 1,700 children, you don't just uh, say, oh, well, we're going to serve breakfast tomorrow. Um, having the the process work um, 
in a effective and time-efficient manner um, is really something that takes a lot of planning and takes pilot testing. So I think that that Lynette's example and her thoughtful way of doing it, the other thing, honestly, if you're going to go to a school board or you're going to go to your financial officer in a larger district and say, we want to do X, whatever it is, salad bars, school gardens, expanding breakfast, Mm -hmm. is you really have to be able to talk numbers. You really have to be able to know um, how that's going to work out in terms of space, how that's going to work out in terms of staffing, how that's going to work out in terms of reimbursement levels. It's a very complex issue to serve um, school meals that rock. Yeah, yeah. You know, Lynette appeared on Inside School Food last April, and and one of the things she talked about was her innovative use of vending machines to serve, you know, both serve reimbursable meals, um, speed up lines, um, and also make breakfast available. You know, all, like on the campus, but maybe far out. It's, it can be very warm down in Georgia. Get kids, you know, hang out in the yard before school starts. Um, and reimbursable breakfast is is right there. They 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 do not serve any a la carte. There's, they don't use uh, smart snacks there. So that's that's what the machines are for in Carrollton. So. Uh, well, and if I could just tag on to that, because um, people who are beginning to experience fall weather in the northern states are saying, mm-hmm. well, they can do that in Georgia. I heard a great example from Pennsylvania in a middle school where in the winter they serve the reimbursable breakfast in the um, swimming indoor swimming pool area. So mm-hmm. the district has an indoor swimming pool, which, of course, is heated all winter, um, and it has a great deal of space around the edges where people might sit for meats, you know, essentially a field house kind mm-hmm. of uh, place. And that's where they serve middle school breakfast. So it's warm, it's inviting, and it's a use of space that wasn't being used at that time of day. Ingenious. Well, um, I think... Dale, that we should go to station break. Um, and when we come back, we're, we've got another terrific story from Georgia. So, folks, do not go away. You're listening to Inside School Food. My co host today is Dale Hayes of School Meals That Rock. Today's program was brought to you by Nutrislice. Nutrislice wants to see you succeed. They help school nutrition programs who want to do a little more with their marketing communications. Nutrislice is all about helping people increase their nutrition IQ. Their products are designed to engage, educate, and inspire greater levels of personal wellness. Whether you're interested in communicating the virtues of your nutrition program, upping your game in the fight against childhood obesity, saving money, or becoming more innovative, Nutrislice has the tools for you. They can help you reduce food waste by getting kids excited about eating healthy foods. Is your program serving healthy foods but not getting the credit it deserves? Nutrislice can help you communicate all the great things you're doing to parents, students, school administrators, and the community. They can also help you gain critical customer insights to your business. They've worked with the most innovative school nutrition programs in the country, big and small, and their experience speaks for itself. Get in touch today to see what Nutrislice can do for you. That's Nutrislice.com.
Welcome back. Um, I, I just have to say we have always been very proud of and grateful to the forward-thinking businesses that support our programming here at Heritage. Um, and the addition of Nutrislice to the mix as Inside School Foods Fall 2015 season sponsor is a special honor. Um, they're our first-ever sponsor from the school nutrition community and a company that is completely aligned with Inside School Foods goals and values. So Nutrislice, welcome aboard. Um, Dale, we hear a lot about great work going on in Georgia on this show. Um, here is another example. Hi, this is Laura Lynn. I'm the School Nutrition Director for Brantley County Schools in Nahuna, Georgia. And one of the things that we are super excited about this year is making our own whole wheat rolls. Um, everyone knows how delicious yeast rolls were coming out of the cafeteria. And then um, the requirement for whole grains um, kind of put a little damper on that for some of us. But we are purchasing... Uh, whole wheat flour from a local supplier in Blackley, Georgia called Back to the Basics. And um, they actually came in and taught us how to use their flour correctly with making our yeast roll dough. And the product is amazing. It is delicious, and our customers are absolutely loving it. They are thrilled to have their yeast rolls back on the menu. Okay. So I, I called the farmer that Brantley County is buying from. Um, her name is Ginger Butts, and her family's business is actually called Back to the Basics 101. And um, and they supply to five other districts in the region as well. Um, it's all recent business that emerged as a result of the new federal mandate for increased whole grains. So, and, and Ginger told me that she added 101 to the company name because they don't just supply flour. As you heard, they supply education. Um, Ginger works directly with food service staff to teach them how to work with her product, which of course is very different from what they're used to. Um, it's a it's a um, southern style red um, whole wheat. She talks about the importance of instilling confidence in food service workers, and it's important to her, and she really loves doing it. Um, Ginger, she also conducts workshops for students. She brings in stalks of wheat and demonstrates for them the steps in processing it into flour. And she told me that at the end, she serves kids whole wheat cookies. So, you know, just to make it clear that the lesson is about food. I mean, I mean, Dale, in your experience, how often do you encounter a farm to school relationship that is just so completely integrated into the life of the school? I think those are becoming more and more common, Laura, and, and it really thrills me to see them. Um, I live in Montana, and there's a project now called Montana Beef for Montana Schools, and that truly is a relationship, a direct relationship between um, Montana ranchers and um, the, children, the districts where their own children go to school, and it was a real commitment to follow through that process. But really, whether it's Georgia or Montana, what I see all across the country is that harvest of the month and, um, uh, you know, programs that really do integrate the agriculture, the culinary, um, the enjoyment aspect of food, as you highlighted, are, I think, absolutely the best things that have come out of farm to school. Mm -hmm. Of course, I think Georgia's 
special case in this. They've had a long-time commitment between their Department of Agriculture, between a really forward-looking um, Department of Education program, and their partnerships between Georgia Grown, which is from the Ag Department, mm-hmm. and um, Georgia Organics, which uh, is really working with smaller farmers. And then they are now using, they have a program called Georgia Test Kitchen. Test kitchens. Mm-hmm. So, in something like learning a new product, like how to um, make a whole grain roll or watermelon slushies, they're actually using school kitchens as the test kitchen and those students as the pilot test for these new products. It's really remarkable. Yeah, you you remind me that I really would love to do an episode on Georgia Test Kitchen now that they are up and running. So, thank you for that. Jill, um, would you say that um, we're we're seeing more scratch baking um, with whole grain now, or, or, or do you think that the introduction of the 100% whole grain rich standards has led districts to cut back on scratch baking and, and buy from vendors? It's, it's led to people to cut back at all. I do want to thank and to reinforce the fact that the industry that produces everything from cereals to biscuits to flatbreads for schools really has stepped up to the tray here and really has innovated themselves and made some wonderful products. Um, and, and let's be honest, sometimes you can't make scratch uh, for everybody. But I really think that the districts that had the equipment and had some staff already um, expert bakers, um, they've done just great with this. And, and it's, um, you know, Laura Lynn's district is more sort of medium-sized, but mm-hmm. in uh, Cypress Fairbanks in uh, Texas, they make something like 80,000. Let me repeat that, 80,000 whole grain rolls in their central kitchen. So... You know, medium, gigantic, or some small kitchens. I mean, lots of people have, they weren't about to give up on those cinnamon rolls that Mm -hmm. everybody loves for breakfast Mm -hmm. in schools. So, again, they've looked at ways to um, make those whole grain rich in order to meet the meal patterns. Yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. 80,000. That's a lot of rolls. <laughs> um, so th- the next two uh, messages are just, like, wonderfully different. Um, Jack, can, can we hear number five? Hello, my name is Jeannie Riley, and I am the School Nutrition Director for RSU 14 in the state of Maine. Our innovation this beginning school year is that we are taking over this school nutrition program for our alternative school, which is located on an island off the coast of Maine, and it's about 50 to 60 students, high school and middle school students, who are um, in this alternative setting. And part of the program there is that they are going to be assisting in the preparation of the meals and learning all about school nutrition from beginning to end. So they're going to be cooking the meals, serving the meals, and also at the same time learning Surf Safe and um, learning about local foods and also learning about the school nutrition guidelines and why it's so important to um, follow the guidelines and stay within budget and all of those things. So the students will have a direct part in the day daily preparation of the meals and the daily serving of the meals. Um, This program is um, strongly committed to local foods and meals made from scratch. It's a very small program, but the kids will come out of there with um, restaurant um, skills and serve safe certification and ready to um, join the workplace in the food service industry. 
Well, I promise different. This one is different. And, and, and I, I, I don't, you know this program better than I, so I'll let you talk, Dale. But I just want to say at the outset that this level of culinary career training is typically only available in big districts. So, you know, this is like a, a double-duty nutrition program that demonstrates a creative alternative that a smaller district can afford to offer. Tell, tell, us, tell us more about, um, about the, the region and, and, the, and the district and what Jeannie's up to there. Jeannie Riley is incredible, and she actually is managing a a combined district, a, a, a unified uh, supervisory union, they call them in Maine, but uh, two relatively small districts, Wyndham and Raymond. Um, and she's been doing that for many years and has really embraced the um, Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act pro- provisions patterns and uh, done just an absolutely remarkable job with that. Her participation has been increasing not only at breakfast, uh, she does uh, room service uh, breakfast, Mm. so uh, a breakfast cart that travels around uh, in the middle school to be served to any student who wants it, Um, but she also has embraced the culinary aspects of using local food and and really elevating the quality of um, the meals. She has a um, professionally trained chef who works on her staff who does a variety of things from um, creating new recipes to I visited and participated in an after-school cooking club. Um, So really trying to integrate aspects of nutrition education and I think what we're now terming food literacy Mm -hmm. into their entire program. So taking over this alternative school, which in Maine is located on a very scenic island in Mm -hmm. a bay, um, but but recognizing that, that not all children learn in the same ways, and these are very much children who who probably learn better by doing and hands-on work, is that um, this school agreed to work with Jeannie to go all the way from growing food in the garden to helping to plan a meal that would meet the meal patterns, and then to preparing and serving the food. And again, that these are young people, uh, teens, tweens and teens who may have struggled to feel successful in in traditional settings. So in this setting, they're going to be doing a lot of things and and then sharing the, the fruits and veggies of their labor um, with their fellow students. So I, I think that Jeannie has taken the um, what, what she's learned in running a truly excellent program to then apply it to this um, this sort of setting. And, and I know you made an excellent point when you said that, you know, very often this level of career training is only available in a large district. Mm-hmm. I, I both see those kinds of things going on in very large and, in some cases, districts that have more resources. But honestly, in a lot of smaller rural schools, there is the opportunity to really meet student needs in, in a direct and, um, I think, compassionate and forward-thinking way. Yeah, and, and would, do you see other examples of it happening through the um, school nutrition program, the way Jeannie's doing it? Um, yes, 
absolutely. I have seen that in that uh, cooking clubs, culinary clubs. Um, the other thing that happened, you know, I saw a sprinkling of it a few years ago, and now last summer even more of it, is the um, camp, the summer camp, mm-hmm. that not just a summer feeding program where we're making sure that kids get breakfast and, and lunch when school is out, but actual camp-like experiences. So places where um, they had garden camps and kids planted and took care of gardens, all the way to, you know, a, a week-long summer camp taught by chefs. Yeah. So that there really is an extension of this that that takes things from the the school cafeteria out into the community but then also brings them back again and and I have to say that after having been in this business for 20 years or so, one of the things that I think has happened that's so um, wonderful is that there is there's increased value seen in um, in school nutrition programs. They're not just sort of hidden away and you know mm-hmm. lumped in with transportation as sort of auxiliary services that we have to provide. They're really being seen as, and I think genies in this situation, they're really integral to the education of students. Students and um, to finding alternatives that um, meet the needs of different kinds of kids. That's great. And I feel like everything you've just said deserves a longer episode, so we're going to think about that, Dale. Um, so last but hardly least, we have a wonderful story from the Midwest. This is Winnie Brewer. I'm the food service director for Marion City Schools in Marion, Ohio. And I think we found an innovative way to add some instructional time for nutrition education, which is something that's been very difficult for schools to kind of figure out how to fit that into the uh, curriculum during the day. We have teachers that are eating lunch with their students, and we are providing them with nutritional information, fun little tidbits to share with their students, typically pertaining to the lunch that they may be eating that day, and the teacher shares that with their class, so everyone in the whole school gets those 10 minutes of extra nutritional education, and we're using that towards our Healthy U.S. School Challenge, so hopefully we can add those minutes to that that challenge and we can hit a gold star status for that school. <laughs> wow. I mean, Dale, how, how difficult is it typically to get teachers to participate in something like this, like sitting down and eating with their students? Do you know of any other districts that are attempting this? I do know some other districts that are attempting it. However, when I listened to Winnie's message, I thought I'm going to nominate this woman for the Congressional Medal of Honor, <laughs> um, which might be particularly appropriate as the Congress considers um, uh, child nutrition reauthorization. Um, I think that uh, what Winnie has managed to do, perhaps by the force of her personality or by uh, long-time relationships in the district, is something that's absolutely critical, but often um, things like contracts and uh, um, <clears throat> relationships between teachers and teachers' unions and and uh, administrators get in the way of, of doing something that I think is fundamentally important. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
I do not know who thought it would be a good idea to herd 200 or so children into a cafeteria and then make them sit in chairs without any adults at the table Mm -hmm. to then, you know, behave well, have table manners, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So that um, I do know some schools that have actually tried, um, and I think it's a fabulous idea, bringing more grandparents in um, to eat with kids because really children need to have adults sitting with them at tables to to provide role modeling, to have conversations. And I think the fact that here they also are, are focusing on the food discussion is also important. However, I wouldn't want the discussions at a table to just be about, you know, milligrams of sodium and grams of Agreed. fiber. Yeah. Um, I, I think the discussion about what food means to us and, and how trying a new food that you may not have liked before. I mean, all those are the kinds of things that that adults with just a little preparation and, and certainly teachers can be... Um, can be invited to do in the positive way that that Winnie's talked about. The other thing that's absolutely true that why I would nominate her for a medal is because um, it is very difficult to get those minutes of nutrition education that are required, uh, that are one of the required criteria for a Healthier U.S. School Challenge Smarter Lunchroom Award. It's hard to get those into um, today's curriculum that is so intensely focused on on academics. But I do think it is it, it is a great model for a way to do that. And, you know, Teachers are a wonderful idea, but I, I would encourage listeners to think about what are some other opportunities. Right. You know, Good point. retired volunteers, mm-hmm. whomever um, inviting on special, you know, one day a month to have business leaders or your school board or somebody else who really does need to see your program, invite them in to sit in with students and have lunch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, t- teachers eating with students is... Um, a standard and very admired practice in Japan. Um, and I, I, I hope to do an episode about that at some point. And, and I should add, Dale, that listeners who heard our episode with Winnie Brewer in March, um, it was about summer school food service, they may remember that Marion is a post-industrial city that's fallen on hard times relatively recently. So many households there are food insecure, um, and the district is um, 100% community eligible. Um, and when I interviewed Winnie, about the district summer feeding program, I was astonished to learn that the teachers and guidance counselors were showing up at summer feeding sites to pitch in. So she clearly does have a gift for um, kind of creating community around, around food. It's very interesting because um, just uh, yesterday in the context of sort of broader broader education initiatives, I've heard that uh, there's a fourth R that's been added to the three R's, and that's uh, reading, writing, arithmetic, and relationships. Mm-hmm. So that in the in the sort of whole child concept of, of education and learning, those, and particularly for at-risk uh, uh, populations, uh, low-income, uh, under-resourced schools uh, that you're talking about, that the relationship piece of the education is being underscored, and I cannot think of a better place to do that than in schools and around meals. Right, right. Well, Dale, we've drawn to a close. Um, I would say this has been fun, wouldn't you? I have 
absolutely enjoyed it. I just I love listening to those clips over and over again. Great. Well, so then we definitely need to do this again sometime. Thank you so much for joining so. us. Um, in the meantime, um, uh, listeners, we will continue to collect your messages for use um, on the show. We love hearing from you in this very direct way. The the next question, which uh, is going is posted today, is uh, tell us your favorite, most popular, or most successful farm to school strategy. And that's in honor of Farm to School Month in October. You will find instructions on how to leave a message on InsideSchoolFood.com. Just go to the menu bar and click on the Talk to Us prompt. That pops up when you click on Contact. Um, You have been listening to Inside School Food, our first episode featuring call-ins from our community of listeners. Many thanks again to my co-host and co-producer, Dale Hayes, of School Meals That Rock. And I am your regular old host, Laura Stanley. Uh, Next week, we'll hear from Dr. Katie Wilson, a former School Nutrition Association president and the new Deputy Undersecretary for Food, Nutrition, and Consumer Services at the USDA. As most of you know, USDA is advocating that we stay the course on Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act um, in the upcoming child nutrition reauthorization with none of the flexibility favored by um, the SNA and many school nutrition professionals. So this will be a companion episode to last week's conversation with SNA President Jean Ronnie and Vice President Lynn Harvey. Um, And you should check that one out. It's a terrific conversation. And do join us again next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 